And so I built a computer vision model to detect the school bus going by the house. It sends me a text. And then I know I have about five minutes before before the bus is going to pick my daughter up. So we actually um, are using that. It's running 24-7, um, getting the texts from AWS. And then I, after I had that running, it was like, okay, well, what can I do next to make my life better? Hello, and welcome to the PyBytes podcast, where we talk about Python, career, and mindset. We're your hosts. I'm Julian Sequeira. And I am Bob Beldebos. If you're looking to improve your Python, your career, and learn the mindset for success, this is the podcast for you. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody, to the PyBytes podcast. This is Bob Beldebos, and I'm here with Kristen Carrer. Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, super excited to have you here. Julian would have loved to be here, but uh, as you know, he's in Australia and it was super hard to uh, to align the time zone, especially this time of the year. Uh, he's actually traveling, so you'll uh, have to do it with me. But he uh, just let you know, he's, uh, he, he definitely wanted to be on this one um, because we're excited to have you here. You're doing so much cool stuff with data in the space. So I'm looking forward to the next 30 minutes to pick your brain, uh, get your background, how you got into it, what you're doing, and uh, share that with our audience. So uh, welcome again. And uh, just to kick off the story, yeah, maybe you can just a broad question. Tell us your story, how you got into data science, and what excites you about data science, machine learning, AI? Yeah. So I mean, starting from the beginning, I got a bachelor's degree in math. And after a couple years, actually, the recession hit, and I had been doing financy stuff for a real estate brokerage. And so I knew I was going to get fired. I decided to hide in academia and got a master's degree in statistics. And so just naturally that lends to working for data when you got out. So, uh, you know, my future boss came in while I was uh, working in or while I was getting my master's in statistics and was looking for somebody to do econometric time series analysis and forecasting. Um, and so, you know, 2010, right out of grad school, I was, you know, building models with data and, you know, I've been building models since. Nice. And you currently work at Comet ML, right? So um, as a developer advocate. So, yeah, maybe you can tell us a bit about that transition, how you got into that role and uh, a bit about the company's mission and, and what you do day to day. Yeah, sure. So Comet's mission is definitely to remove the friction from machine learning. And they do that through um, an experiment tracking tool and modeling uh, models in production. And then so as a developer advocate for that company, I'm constantly evangelizing the product on social media. Um, I'm taking part in conversations where people in MLOps are hanging out on the internet, you know, in places like Reddit. Uh, and then I host my own show, The Cool Data Project Show, where I interview practitioners in MLDL and AI about cool projects that they're working on um, with a focus on their approach and methodology. Nice. That's uh, that's a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. So very active <laughs> in the space. And um, yeah, I'm definitely going to ask you about some of those projects and also about the content creation. 
but before getting there, um, a quick detour, uh, because you're, you've come from R and you uh, transitioned into Python, right? So uh, another question we had in our preparation is, yeah, how does R compare to Python? What do you really like about Python? And are there any things you're actually missing from R that you're not finding in Python? <laughs> Well, I think that uh, the answer to that question has like evolved rapidly over the last couple of years. Um, so my transition itself wasn't pretty. I always say that I wish I had taken more programming courses in university. Just, you know, my my math degree was pure math statistics in 2010. They were absolutely teaching everyone R. Um and there's so, you know, in 2018 is about when I transitioned. Uh, the data world is heavily moving towards Python. More of the jobs are offered in Python. Overwhelmingly, more of the jobs are offered in Python. Um, and so, you know, I actually learned through MOOCs. Um, and I think that, you know, comparing the two, like in, in 2018, I uh, had a job that was fully in Python. I was building a project and actually used the RPy2 library to do some time series work. I was using the TBATS algorithm um, for a project to determine who had a seasonal usage pattern. But right, so I was starting in Python and I was going over to R because the time series capabilities over there were still, you know, just much more robust. And so as time has gone on, right, like I was an R shiny person for building my web apps, big fan, you know, and I felt like it was uh, much more intuitive and easy to use compared to Dash. But now there's Streamlit in Python, which I'd say is almost you know, even easier to use than Shiny. And so, you know, and uh, ggplot2, which is the big library that everyone uses in R for um, making their plots, there's now a port of that in Python called plot9. And so as time is going, both languages are starting to have like things that are very comparable in each, which, you know, has made it a lot easier to continue learning Python as well. Mm, yeah, so much dependent kind of on the tooling and what you needed for the job or for to get a project done. Uh, but is there is there anything like language feature wise that you you miss from R that that you miss? Yeah, that uh, yeah. I, well, I mean, there come so you know the grammar of graphics in R is um, just a really readable way to be writing code that I really like. But at the same time, you know, I, I, there's probably libraries in Python that, that use that now as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Python, there's so much good coverage in the standard library, but for the the more data stuff, the, the PyPI and the the package index is just, just amazing. Like Mm -hmm. there's just a library for everything. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, It's like, there's an app for that. (laughs) So talk about uh, projects. Um, You told me the other day about some really cool Python projects you recently uh, have developed. Um, And yeah, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But one, for example, is the school bus. And I will leave it at that. I will just uh, maybe can mention two or three uh, of those side projects, uh, why you built them and what's cool about them and how they really helped you in in, learning Python, but also 
yeah, it, it, um, advancing your career even? Yeah. So actually, I get my project ideas by walking around my house and deciding what's bothering me and you know what I could improve in my life. And so, your own itch, right? <laughs> um, and so one of those was the school bus. So, you know, it was really difficult because I'd be making an English muffin or something for my kids. And I'm not able to see the bus passing the house. And then it became, did we miss the bus? Is the bus late today? And it actually was like a real point of anxiety and stress in the morning. And we're very lucky that the bus passes our house in the morning, picks somebody else up and comes back and picks my daughter up at the end of the driveway. And so I built a computer vision model to detect the school bus going by the house. It sends me a text. And then I know I have about five minutes before before the bus is going to pick my daughter up. So we actually um, are using that. It's running 24-7. I'm getting the texts from AWS. And then I, after I had that running, it was like, okay, well, what can I do next to make my life better? Um, and so using similar technology, except now I'm going to be on a uh, Raspberry Pi instead of, you know, using my desktop. But this next one is, and actually I bought a uh, 3D printer and I've 3D printed a case and it holds the little Raspberry Pi and like a $10 camera and it points at my pill bottles. So every day, um, it, this isn't this isn't running yet. It's still in development, uh, but I do have uh, Yolo V5 running on the Raspberry Pi, looking to get that running a little bit better. Uh, and I've started annotating data, but I don't have it running end to end yet at all. Um, but so the the pictures that I'm annotating is just going to be when I pick up the pill bottle, when it sees my fingers on the pill bottle, it's going to send me a text and it's going to store the data in a database. And so basically that's because, you know, there's many times, but even at 10 a.m., I'm like, did I take my pills today? And then it's, you know, did I miss my pills? Well, I also don't want to take my pills twice. And so, so that's been a pain point for me. But also, um, you know, more for fun. So the text part is very useful to me, but also for funsies, I will um, build an app that'll have like, you know, the 30 day adherence rate of, you know, when am I taking my pills? What day am I most likely to forget my pills? I don't want to make it sound like I always forget my pills because I, I don't. Um, but, you know, that's the next project that I'm working on. Yeah, what's really cool with these projects is that you build up a database of trends, right? And yeah, at the very start, it's it's almost no data, but have that running for a year. All of a sudden, you, you see these cool trends, and you can make predictions, and and yeah, it, it might be uh, you might get some mind blowing insights. Uh, it's also cool that you combine the hardware with real sensors and stuff. Um, and yeah, and I think for our audience, um, because we always talk about building apps and you have to build to really get a thorough understanding of the technology and people have to say, but what to build, right? Sometimes they overcomplicate it because you have to build the next Twitter or Mastodon. Not really, right? Just walk around your house and look at small things, um, which when you start implementing can really <laughs> get out of hand in a good way, right? So... Yeah. Nice, nice. And then, of course, that leads nicely into the next question, because um, you just 
you don't just build those things, but then you go actively on social and I think particularly LinkedIn and talk about those projects, right? So that then leads to naturally to content creation. So I wanted to talk a bit about that content creation process. Um, yeah, how how important you think it it is and how do you stay consistent with it and just overall your process. So you build something and do you write a blog post, you produce a video, What what is your process? Yeah, so the computer vision project to um, detect the bus specifically, that one has turned into a number of um, podcast invites. Uh, the first article I wrote about it is on my blog. The second one uh, was a guest blog. With So I used RoboFlow in the project. And so I've made friends with RoboFlow during that. And so the second blog was nice. up there. I still have to write the third blog. Um, there's been a couple of things that have gotten in front of that. But for sure, uh, you know, I absolutely look to stretch any project that I create as far as I can. Whether So I also have an email list with 6,600 people on it. Um, I'm on TikTok, Instagram, like I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm on Reddit. I actually do really well on Reddit. Um, and so, you know, definitely looking to stretch everything as far as possible. Consistency has been an issue, you know, with COVID, I actually took like a year off and was really excited to see that when I came back, uh, that the algorithm was just as friendly to me as it was before. Um, but yeah, so, you know. Consistent- the Reddit one or the LinkedIn one? What? Which algorithm? The Reddit one or the LinkedIn one? The or all of them. One. Reddit is beautiful because you don't have to have a following to get mileage on Reddit. So if you do something in computer vision that's cool and you create a video of it and you share it on Reddit with zero followers, you're gonna get you're gonna get traction on that post in a way that you won't on other platforms. Right. But your main channel would be your blog or LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn, you have quite a big following, right? Yeah, so I have 89,000 on LinkedIn. And yes, that is 100% my main platform. I prioritize, you know, keeping that up above anything else. Hmm. And is that, I mean, apart from the big following, is that also the most suitable platform you think for technical data, Python content? So there is absolutely a huge data community there and the the right people that, you know, we'd want to attract um, to Comet is there as well. You know, everyone from all the way from analyst to, you know, cutting edge AI is hanging out on LinkedIn, at least, yeah. you know, enough of these people. Are you also Mastodon? There's a big flag uh, <laughs> from Twitter to Mastodon these days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw everyone migrating. Um, I just, the way that it's not, you know, you're not going to get organic reach past the people that are already in the little groups. I don't know much about Mastodon, but it didn't look like something that I wanted to take on in addition to all the platforms I'm currently managing. Yeah, yeah. You got a lot already. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's inspiring because we we apart from big on the technical and the Python skills, we also always recommend 
the people that work with us and our community, like you not only have to build, you also have to get it out there, right? Build up your portfolio so that people can see what skills you have and and go a bit more from pushing to pulling in with what we uh, with which we mean to you cannot rely, you know, recruiters or next opportunities just come to you naturally, right? Building that they will come. That just doesn't happen, right? So yeah. by as as that book, our favorite career book, uh, so good that they cannot ignore you by uh, Cal Newport says, like build up career assets, right? And there's definitely, um, the more you do that, the more opportunities open up, right? So 100%. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't even express the amount of opportunities that have come to me through LinkedIn that I never would have assumed would have come through. And um Absolutely. It is paid dividends. I highly suggest that. And, and, you know, I can't tell you about the number of recruiters that are in my mailbox. Like I hear from them multiple a week, you know, mm. uh, it certainly, it certainly pays dividends to put some effort into your personal brand. Right. Awesome. And, um, but now you're doing that for a a long time, right? Um, yes. How's content creation compare now to when you started? Because I can imagine for people starting out, it's very scary. There's a lot of imposter syndrome, right? Um, is Has it become easier? Are you just pushing through that imposter syndrome these days because of you have done it so many times? Or is there still just always that battle like, I'm going to put something out there. I'm not sure if it's good enough. Uh, just let's just roll with the punches. Is that still the case? or? Just roll with the punches. Yeah. I, and it, it's funny as your following gets larger or I can't speak for anybody else for me, like if I do something stupid in front of like 500 people and then I take it down, it's like, that just doesn't feel like a lot of people. Um, you know, and I also think for me, so I'm, you know, it, in 2008, I went to a uh, women in mathematics conference and they asked, you know, we're sitting in the auditorium and they say, does anyone ever feel like if uh, your school knew who you really were, what you knew that like they'd still want you there? Um, you know, and everyone was sort of, I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but everyone was sort of raising their hand in terms of I have imposter syndrome, you know, and my hand was up too. And I feel like the first you know, five or six years of my career, I really struggled with, oh, I don't know enough. Oh, I don't know. People probably expect me to know this, but I don't know. I'm turning 40 next birthday. And at this point, like, it just doesn't bother me the way it was. Like, I know what I know. I've been around long enough to see, you know, work with other people and see what they know too and understand what their gaps are as well. And like, we all have things we know, we all have gaps. Um, and I'm just, you know, really comfortable in, in what my gaps are too. You know, I go into yeah. a, into a, a, a job interview and like, you know, I program, but I was saying, I was like, I'm not a software engineer. Like I know, you know, I know, um, sort of where I feel comfortable. And that translates over to LinkedIn. I don't really worry. You know, I know that what I'm sharing is factually correct because I'm going to um, Google and make sure that I'm talking about things that I know something about. And, um, you know, on top of that, like people may not care about what I share, but that's all right too. Right. Right. Yeah, it's a common sentiment. Uh, we hear it a lot and and we still struggle with it as well. Like before we hit recording, I was 
telling you about the advent of code, right? Which is going pretty okay, but there are some days that completely knocks me out. I'm like, should that happen? And the first thing you said, well, well, the first thing you replied or you told me, well, we all have gaps. And that's kind of the way to look at it, right? Like uh, there's the puzzle skill and there's the app building skill and they're not necessarily the same, right? So we all will always have gaps and this is a complex field. And I think the further you get into it, the more comfortable you come with that. And I think you just have to be open about that. And uh, I think that's, yeah, the only remedy. <laughs> yeah, well, and getting better at finding the right resources, right? Like, you know, when you feel comfortable navigating Reddit and Stack Overflow and, you know, you're seeing what other people are asking and you're also able to get your, you know, questions answered as well. The first time somebody tells you that you should just be, you know, Googling your error message. Like it's, you know, yeah. um, there's like some some learning things, but you eventually get to a place where you're just, you know, we're just all in this together. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But we always have that nagging feeling that like I should know more and probably the rest will know a lot more and that's all like self-imposed. Sorry, I go a bit on about the mindset, but that's, <laughs> uh, this podcast has a lot of mindset in it. So I just want to, Definitely wanted to uh, to bring that up. So thanks for sharing. Um, yeah. So final two questions then. Um, any tips for? So our audience is of course heavily uh, Python, um, and a, a section of that audience uh, is already working in data or wants to work in data or machine learning uh, AI. So if people are relatively new to that part of of Python of the Python ecosystem, what are some tips? you have to get up to speed are there particular resources or yeah maybe some resources to check out i mean we're a bit big on building projects and i'm happy that's um what shines through in your approach as well uh but yeah any tips yeah i don't know it's hard right because everything's so vast and it's actually easier when somebody is just looking to get into the field and has nothing because then it's like hey i'd suggest you go and get you know a degree in computer science and you know uh, then take some courses as well on MLAI and the, you know, master's degrees that started popping up in like data science and ML around 2016. Um, there was a lot of things lacking with those in terms of, you know, there was a lot of programs that were launched, like that didn't have SQL and things that were just like very foundational. And so, you know, I think when you're trying to get up to speed, like, this is again where being part of a community is very helpful to you. So, because the answer is going to be different depending on, you know, are you coming from a CS background? Are you coming from a stats background? Have you, are you, you know, completely learning MOOCs to get into the field? Which any of that's fine, but the 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 advice is going to be different depending on what it is. And there are great programs out there. Um, I learned. My um, I, my first MOOC I took was when I was learning Python. I took Python for everybody. If you have no Python at all, that's a good place to start. But if you have any Python at all, that's not for you. And then, you know, I also love um, Business Science University has a great Python course that's it's going to be really Python and um, you know, algorithms as well. And you know, he does a fantastic job with courses. But again, it also depends on like exactly where are you, where are you starting? And so I think it goes back to like, 
hey, like go start following some of the, you know, data science or there's a, a Reddit, subreddit, learn machine learning. And all of those people are learning machine learning. And like, go mm-hmm. ask those people like, hey, if you had X, Y, and Z that I already have, what would you do next? You know, mm-hmm. um, just to get more tailored advice that's right for you. Yeah, that's great. I think the community aspect is is very important. Uh, we grew our Slack community to three thousand or more people, and yeah, the way that people share there, and yeah, the, the realization that you're not alone, and because it can be a pretty lonely journey, right? So reaching out and do this together with other people makes a big difference, mm-hmm. and that's what that's something I really like about the content creation, being on LinkedIn or wherever. Like uh, people engage with your stuff, and you build up connections, right? So. Um, and that can be very motivating to to keep going in this journey. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what are you currently reading? Last question or anything you have read and uh, that was uh, that's cool that you want to share with the audience. Yeah. So the book I'm holding my page right here. So this is what I'm currently reading. It is The Business Value of Developer Relations by Mary Thingball. So if anyone's thinking of getting into DevRel, I'd suggest starting with this book. And then the book that I always mention on a podcast um, is Weapons of Math Destruction by Kathy O'Neill, because I just think that that is such an important text and that anyone who's looking to get into data should be aware of the different considerations and things that you should be thinking of in terms of ethics and building models that aren't perpetuating bias. Mm, Interesting. Okay, cool. They're going to link those below. That last one I definitely want to check out. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing. This uh, has been a lot of insights in just 30 minutes. Um, any uh, final shout out or things you want to mention? Question for PyBytes uh, or me? Uh, yeah. Any last things you want to share or ask? No, I just want to thank you so much for having me. It's been so great chatting with you. And um, yeah, I'm glad we were able to do this. Yeah. Also, shout out to uh, Zhuzhen for connecting us. Uh, that should be said. And really happy he did. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And uh, thanks again for sharing all these great insights. I'm sure that our audience will appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To hear more from us, go to pybyte slash friends. That is pybit.es slash friends and receive a free gift just for being a friend of the show. And to join our thriving Slack community of Python programmers, go to pybytes slash community. That's pybit.es forward slash community. We hope to see you there and catch you in the next episode.